Blog Talk Radio. Last night I saw a lunar eclipse in the sky. Then something happened in my mind inside. I saw you in a whole different light. Clearly, really, it's not that I want you to change. It's more that I want you to stay the same. Oh, and I do want you to stay the same. I want you to stay right here with me. I'm selfish that way. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red, and we are red. Happy New Year, everyone. Yes, I did the unthinkable. I took two weeks off. Can you imagine? Well, 50 shows last year, I think we really hit the mark and had a really great time. But because Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve were on Monday nights, hello, I didn't think anybody would be around to listen to a live show. So we took two weeks off, and now we're back with a vengeance. Great guests. I'm still working through what I call the class of 2012-2013 from the National Publicity Summit. I have two fascinating ladies to introduce to you tonight. They're both authors. I read their books cover to cover this afternoon. Can't believe I did that much reading. Really worked the eye muscles there, but had a good time doing it. I'll just give you a quick overview before I do my usual. You know, you want to know what movies I've seen and famous birthdays and my shout-outs and all that. In the first half, we're going to be talking to a lovely lady named Joy Curly Burchett. And if it's not Burchett, she will correct me when I bring her on. And her book is called Spouse Spats. Hello, you know he bothers you, ladies. You know he does all those kinds of interesting things like, oh, my God, does he want sex too much? Does he smoke? Does he never hang up his clothes? Does he always leave the toilet seat up? We're going to talk to Joy, and she's going to help you figure out what to do about it, but she does it fair and square. What the wife needs to do, what the husband needs to do, we'll talk about unmarried partners and just make sure everybody's on board, and then we'll flip it. What do you do that really ticks him off? She's got a whole list, unbelievable, really, really good book. Second half of the show, well, I have got some drama on steroids here for you, a book by a lady named Susan Weeks. She grew up in the South, pampered, beautiful, blonde, lovely, daddy was wonderful, mommy was wonderful, money was flowing, the garden was beautiful. Then she wanted a family of her own. She got tangled up with the wrong people. Life was on a roller coaster. You just won't believe the book. Once you pick it up, you simply cannot put it down. The book is called The Underestimated Broken Chain of Command. Read between the lines, The Dixie Mafia. She was there. She saw it all. She knew the secrets and the codes and the people bounced between the bad guys and the good guys and the FBI and more bad guys. What a story. I almost had to put my seatbelt on to stop from falling out of my chair while I was reading the book. So we'll be meeting Susan Weeks in the second half. But I digress. Let's talk about what's happening. I have to give some New Year shout-outs to my wonderful family, my Lorna in Florida, my Dune. Congratulations, you were on TV. Great interview on your local station about the dangers of magnets for young children and teens. Stellar job, my dear. My beautiful Kaylee, thank you for the lip balm and the hand cream for the end of the year. I appreciate it and the beautiful little things you sent me. Hello to my big kahuna, my dancer, my violinist, my artist, my editor, and my little Dr. Pepper. We have two RIPs. That's rest in peace to my ex-husband, Tom, who passed away, as you know, at the end of the year. And Cousin Freddie, we still miss you, Cousin Freddie gone too long now let's look at some birthdays january 7th is today nicholas cage was born today in 1964 katie Couric, well i think her show is doing pretty well kenny loggins one of my favorite musicians born today in 1948 we're almost the same age douglas kiker the newscaster how about charles adams with two d's most famous for the adams family butterfly mcqueen an actress i think my guests might have remembered her in the movies i think she was in gone with the wind and in 1800 on this day in history, Millard S. Fillmore, the 13th U.S. president, was born. And since I've spoken to you, I've seen the movie Lincoln, I've seen Hitchcock, I've seen Hyde Park on Hudson, and on New Year's Eve, I saw Django Unchained. Talk about needing a seatbelt. What a saga. My only beef with Quentin Tarantino is, number one, two hours and 45 minutes. Really? 
I mean, we almost missed New Year's. I'm only joking. And the role Samuel L. Jackson played, mm, I don't know. I didn't sleep too well after that one. And on TV this week, I saw An Affair to Remember with Cary Grant and Deborah Kerr. What a movie. They never make them like that anymore. Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. And Goldmember Austin Powers, hysterical from beginning to end. Okay. Are you fighting with your spouse? Do you need a way to get around it and coexist and even learn to love each other again? Well, I'm bringing you very special guest, Joy Curley Burchett, the author of Spouse Spats. Hi, Joy. Welcome to Read My Lips. How are you? Hello, Bonnie. I just want you to know I love your shows. You're one of the greatest communicators I've ever heard. Oh, come on. Uh, the text no, I'm in the mail, serious. Joy. <laughs> You're, You're a communicator. You're too kind. That's I'm flattered. I'm very, very flattered, and we didn't even rehearse that before the show. I'm I'm delighted. My joy, joy, uh, pun intended, is to just talk to nice people like you and like Susan Weeks and communicate your stories to my listeners in a very comfortable and casual way. And if I'm successful in that, then that is my passion and my joy fulfilled. So thank you very much. So and I also, didn't, that, yes. you know what else happens? You get to be a what? smart lady. Uh, that's true. I learn about life. I learn about love. I learn all the secrets sure my books share. That's right. So I didn't give your bio in my intro. I don't want to just sit here and read off of your one sheet. And you have a beautiful picture, by the way. And I, I know I can tell everybody you're a speaker, a teacher, a recording artist, an author. And you've also written Guys vs. Gals World War II, a book about the pet peeves of teenagers. My goodness. Yes. So tell or was it World War II? World War Three. My error. So Joy, <laughs> tell us all Tell us a little bit about your background. What's your background, and how did you come to write this this book? It's, it's cartoons on each page, a cartoon drawing on each page, and then a his gripes against her and her gripes against his uh, sequentially, and you just go through, I don't know, about 100 of them, and it's very interesting. So tell me, how did you come to write this book, Joy? Uh, it's a long story, but I started working with teenagers many years ago, and they were always asking me, what can we do as good kids? And I decided that we would give them something good to do, so we uh, turned our 40-acre 40, 40 farm into a retreat for teenagers and had mm-hmm. monthly roundups for uh, 23 years and then started having uh, sem- uh, seminars and, and youth camps and all those kind of things. So then people started demanding that I come to their uh to, to do seminars on mm-hmm. uh, marriage and relationships because I taught young people in 17 years of youth camps. I taught on relationships between guys and gals. So they said, we want you to come and speak on relationships to our, to our uh, seminars. So mm-hmm. I started out and I started collecting pet peeves. And for 12 years, I've collected pet peeves of husbands and wives. Also, the good things that they liked about their spouse and I have a, a file full of thousands of those, and I decided that I would pick some out and put in a book because people kept demanding it. Very, very nice. It, it's good to know you have a good heart, obviously, and I hear that wonderful, beautiful southern accent. Where are you from, Joy? <laughs> I'm from Duncan, Oklahoma. Oh, my goodness. Now, why am I picking up south? Is that Midwest? you got to educate oh, that, me that, here. That's really I'm, – I'm southern. I, I have that accent. That's the reason okay. I think you're such a good communicator. I love the way you talk. <laughs> you're so sweet. My mother's probably listening saying, that's my girl. I, I am from New York, born and bred, but my mother is from Pennsylvania. Ruth, my mom, and I co-host a TV show with her called Senior Moments, The Happy Ones. And oh. I think I picked up a little bit of Pennsylvania twang from my mom because technically I don't speak Brooklyn or Bronx or Long Island. People right. make fun and say, oh, you're from New York. Yes, but I believe I do not have much of a New York accent. So there, talk about deception. Now let's talk about the pet peeves, her pet peeves about him. Shall we start there, Joy? Okay. All right. Now let me just run through a couple of these. I picked out some of my favorites, and and I, I want to reiterate to everybody that this is not a textbook. It's not a a tome that you have to sit and study. This is lighthearted but realistic, from the heart. Joy speaks from her heart, 
from her experience, but the cartoon really says it all. So, for example, well, let me read a couple, and then I'll go to some of my favorites. Uh, okay. This is her pet peeves about him, and let me read a couple. He never hangs up his clothes. He spends money foolishly. He's not always well-groomed. I think you could say not always into never in some cases. <laughs> he wakes up singing. Oh, boy, I'd like to meet that man. I wonder what he's singing. He compares me to his mother. OMG, give me a break. He thinks I'm stupid when I cry. These sound fairly common to me. He leaves the toilet seat up at night. Hello, what lady hasn't uh, hasn't experienced that and wonder what to do with it? Uh, and here's here's one of the biggest ones I think is number seven. Takes his half of the bed down the middle, meaning he divides the bed in <laughs> half, and that's the middle, not his half of the half. So he's, yeah, I, I live with that. I live on the edge, Joy. I'm a woman living <laughs> on the edge all the time. I don't want to name his name, but he knows who he is. Okay, so I want to talk about how did you come up with the humorous approach? Because the cartoons are adorable. They're they're black and white drawings. Now, who did your illustrations, Joy? Uh, Jim Holloway. He is a, a Japanese boy, and uh, I don't know how I even contacted him, but he, he does fab- fabulous work. And Beautiful. I feel like that with communication, if you can use humor, you can get through a lot more. 100% and, uh, correct. I, I, tell, I tell all my people, get my book, put it in your bathroom, and no one, <laughs> none of your guests will examine your housekeeping. You'll hear the laughter coming from the bathroom. I love it. That's fantastic. That's a reason. You know, there, there used to be a series of jokes books called Jokes for the John, and my, my yeah. parents used to keep them in the bathroom. I'd sit there for hours. I could not get up. It was so fun. What are you doing in there? I'm reading. What are you reading? Jokes for the yeah, John. Right. Okay, that's fun. Hysterical. Now, I'm looking at one. This, this is adorable. Uh, this is, um, I, I don't have the number on it, but it's on page 20. Comes home late without letting me know. And this is, uh, you speak to Mr. Spouse and Ms. Spouse. Now, I'm going to make a leap of faith here, Joy, and assume that this applies to couples that are cohabiting and not necessarily have the ring in the paper. Is that correct? Uh, it, it just, anyone. Anyone. Good. Okay. So this is for couples. Okay. So uh, let's talk about he comes home late without letting me know. And you say to Mr. Spouse, caring about the feelings of others is a part of our character building. It's easy to be selfish and inconsiderate. That's the truth. Just a simple phone call will ease the te- tension and your dinner will taste a lot better. That's a warning <laughs> bell. Well, that's a warning shot across the bow. And then to Mrs. Spouse, you're saying, write him a note. I didn't know what time you were coming home, and now you don't know what time I'm coming home. Hide in the closet. <laughs> Hide in the closet and see what happens. And then here, but here's the kicker. Here's the kicker, and here's Joy's wisdom. She says it's better to exhibit childlike playfulness than to be bitter and angry. So, talk to me. What's your experience with this, or what have you heard from all of the seminars and the thousands of people you've coached and counseled, Joy? What, how do people really deal with this? How long should you let a man? Then we're talking about the male, the male side now. How should you, long should you let a man come home late? What's the symptom here? Any idea? No, I don't know what it is except that I know that men have little file cabinets in the back of their brain. <laughs> and whatever we uh however we act, that goes into their file cabinet. So sometimes subconsciously they're not wanting to come home because they're uh they they know that it'll be nothing but bitterness or mm. nagging. And so they go around the block trying to figure out a way why they don't want to go home. So I think that if you cultivate an atmosphere of playfulness, love, fun, and they have something to look forward to, they'll want to rush home. Now, I don't know about the workaholics. I don't know if you could Mm -hmm. ever cure that. But I think that the woman has a great responsibility to create an atmosphere that makes a man want to spend some time with her. My husband used to say, honey, I'm going to drive home five miles during, in the ice and snow to, for lunch because I'd rather be with you than to be at work. Well, I just, oh. I'm just glad that I learned some things that made me fun that he couldn't wait to get home to me. I like that. I, I like that attitude of playfulness. And, you know, 
you can't. I, I have a friend who says to me about his relationship with his girlfriend. He says nobody's forcing him to be there. He's there with her because he wants to be. I that's think right. that's what you're talking about, Joy. You're talking about yes. wanting to be. If it's marriage, it's a formal relationship. If it's a drop-in, it's got to be because they want to. Here's one that really ticks off a lot of women, that the man notices other women too much. Now, why don't you explain, why don't you talk this one through rather than I, me sitting here and reading this. Uh, what are the levels of, what, what would your advice to the man be? I, I'm on I wonder page what 23. page you're on. I'm on page 23. 23, and that's yep. the first 23. Yep, first 23. Right. Yep. Yes. Uh, you notice that I have quite a bit written on that yes, because I, I know that that is something that is really that really hurts marriages. Uh, men just have a tendency. They're just going to look at beauty. They're, I mean, you can't stop it. No. But I do think there are some things that a woman can do to make her husband uh, really pay attention to her and not have to look at somebody else all the time. Okay. Uh, so we're we're really responsible for the mo- emotional well. Uh, the man is responsible for the emotional well-being of the wife. So that's why I uh, talk to him that he needs to treat. He needs to treat uh, them. Um, um, I had an interruption. I'm sorry. That's uh, okay, dear. That's okay. Take uh, your time. We're good. But men need to make their wives feel that she is important and always notice her in a room, always look her in the eye or look across the room or wink at her or do something. And, you know, if we are paid attention to, we won't worry about our husband looking at some other woman. That's a good point. That's a very good point because I'm I'm sure many women look Nothing wrong with an attractive man walking in the room, somebody who's dressed sharp right. or has beautiful right. eyes or somebody who's the center of attention, whether they're telling a joke or they're playing the piano or they're giving a speech or they're or the host or right. they're the bartender, somebody who's, who is riveting. Everybody's eyes are riveted on them for one reason or another, yes. so we do it too. But that's a really good point. Include your wife or your lady so that she knows you are thinking about her. Yeah, and when a, a woman point. feels good about herself, Mm-hmm. She won't worry about that that much. She uh, she has to know that she has uh, done her best to take care of herself, uh, to watch her weight, to see that she's neat and clean, that mm-hmm. her hair shines, that she's uh, fun, and that she is worthy to be noticed herself. You know, I'm going to make a political statement here, which I rarely do on the show, okay. but we all were witness. And you can deal with this any way you want. And when Susan Weeks come on, I'll probably ask her to comment on this. We all were bore witness to the downfall of David Petraeus several months yes. ago, just before the holidays. And I can't imagine anybody would look at the the lover, the biographer, the other woman, young and gorgeous and vibrant and very very sexy and very just mm-hmm. very vibrant looking, and then looking at his wife. And I'm sorry, but the contrast was just huge people looking and saying well i wonder what she used to look like because who would you think he would rather go home to i know that's a very very surface very shallow comment but i think it speaks to the point you were trying to make just now joy is you want to be noticed and you want to have a perpetuation of what brought you two together do your best to and there is one thing that a woman can do is to build her husband up uh, even if she doesn't look as good as the other person, she can mm-hmm. build her husband up and make him feel good about himself. And there's something about that that draws a man's heart to his wife. Very good point. Uh, if you happen to see or have you seen the movie Hitchcock? No, I haven't. If you see it, uh, Anthony Hopkins is marvelous as Hitchcock. And um Oh, what's her name? Helen Mirren as his wife, who really was not known as far as I know. She was really at least 50%, if not more, of his genius. She could go ahead and and tweak a scene, run a script, run a cast, run the production team on a movie set all by herself. She was a brilliant Mm -hmm. writer, and she was a very, very important part. Yet he had this penchant and passion for blonde actresses. And he kept stacks of their pictures on the desk in his office, and she knew it. But she provided that she was the soulmate. She was the partner. She was the brains. 
mm-hmm. and very beautiful too. Anyway, if if you want to see the movie, I think you'll appreciate in the context of what you're talking about. Yes. So I think you'll appreciate. And and at the end, they're standing together at the premiere of Psycho, and their arms are up in the victory pose. And very <laughs> very powerful scene. And she she does win. She deserves yes. it. She she earned it. So there. Now here's another one. Let's go to page forty nine. In the first half, we're going to do a couple from the back part too. The man never says he's sorry, and you're saying you may feel it if you say you're sorry. It shows a sign of weakness, but in reality, it shows strength. Talk to me, Joy. Why does it show strength if a man says, "I'm sorry, dear"? Because he has a tremendous ego. Uh, he is the. He's usually the leader, and uh, when when a woman sees that he is willing to say. I'm sorry. Something happens inside of her. But I think that makes him strong because none of us can say that we don't have uh, things wrong with us. Mm-hmm. So we have to admit that we're sorry sometimes because we don't always do the right thing. And you know the icon for not being able to admit I'm sorry is the Fonz from Happy Days. Remember Henry Winkler's yes. young young stud-like character with the, the hair slicked back and the leather jacket and the rolled-up jeans? And I'm s- 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 Yes, he the mother at that show was my sister's uh, the sister-in-law. Say that again? My The mother in that show yes. was my sister's sister-in-law. Really? Yes. In that fact, I was. Uh, I, we both, uh, the mother and I, both were at the funeral of my nephew, and we both spoke at the funeral in Los oh Angeles. Oh my! God. Well, I'm sorry about your loss. Now, the, the actress's name was Marion. What? I can't remember yes, her last yes, name. Yes, she was my sister's sister-in-law. Oh my goodness gracious! So well, we, we shared world. the same nephew. Small world, very very yes, small world. And you're saying to your to the woman as well and the Mrs. Spouse, ask yourself, am I willing to say I'm sorry? What is my attitude when my husband goofs? Am I self-righteous? The answer to these questions will help you forgive him even before he says I'm sorry. Yes, yes. Don't. And most throw women them. are self-righteous. We think we know everything. <laughs> and if our husbands would just listen to us, everything would be perfect. This is true. This is absolutely, absolutely, indefatigably, indefatigably true. I want to flip all the way back to page 135 on what a man complains about with a woman. I have an adorable one here, and the complaint is she can't fry eggs. And I think this is is emblematic, iconic, symbolic of she can't cook. We're just talking about she can't cook. And so I, I'd love to read your answer. May I, Joy? Yes, go ahead, because I'm not there on the You say, yeah, page 135. You say to the woman, okay, Mrs. Spouse, you can do one of four things if he says you can't fry eggs. You can check a cookbook. You can buy a special pan for making (laughs) eggs. I love this. You can ask your mother to teach you. You can tell them, blah, 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 go out and get your damn fried eggs somewhere else. But here's what the man can do. This is, I love this. You can te- you can do one of four things. Gently tell her how you like your eggs, then praise her when she does it right. I love reinforcement. And here, here's another one. This is fantastic. Change your breakfast menu. <laughs> Stop ordering the damn eggs. Another one is cook them yourself, and the fourth one is hire a cook. I love it. Or just go out to the diner, for God's sake, and order the damn eggs. I love that. I absolutely love it. I thought that was one of your, one of your best. Right. And why don't you pick your favorite out of the Well, I'm um, going to give you my pet peeve of this. Now, I was married 53 yeah. years before, and my husband died. And I married mm-hmm. another man, and I married him for eight and a half years. And oh. so I had taught all my whole life to accept other people like they are and don't try to change them. Mm-hmm. So whenever I married this man, he was doing things that were just bugging me to pieces. Did I, I tell guess. you about the wet willy? No. Oh, my God, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Joy Goes Wild. You heard it here on Read My Lips. I forgot to say the name of my show. My show well, is Read My Lips. Uh, a wet willy is when you uh, wet the end of your a finger and stick it in somebody's ear. Okay. Must be okay, southern, never heard willy. of it, but go ahead. <laughs> and, and, and my husband did that to men and women alike. He loved to torment. And oh. I thought, you know what? I teach that I accept that I, 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 can't, I can't tell him that I don't like it. Of course, you can tell them if you don't nag oh, about it. But anyway, so after three months, in a real tender moment, I said to him, Honey, 
there's something you do that really bothers me. But I just mm-hmm. want you to know that if you don't want to change, you don't have to. But I just want you to know it bothers me. And do you know what? He said, what? And I said, yeah. well, you give people wet willies. He said, honey, I've been doing that my whole life. But if you don't like it, I won't do it anymore. Oh, my goodness. And I cried because of his love for me. And then he said, get this, and now let me tell you what bothers me that you do. Of course. <laughs> you earned that one, kiddo. And what did he say? What and did he, he say? You know, we, we always hug everybody that we see. And right. But he says, after you hug men, some of them you pat them on the chest, and that bothers me. And I Ooh. said, honey, if that bothers you, I won't do it anymore. But have you ever tried to stop a habit that you've done that you didn't even know you were doing it? I know, I know, and, and he, you he know. He laughs to tell me how I almost did and brought my hand back and then patted him on the shoulder. <laughs> oh, that's funny. You know, speaking about your your comment about three minutes ago, five minutes ago, Joy, you said that women are very self righteous. We're always right. We know we yes. are. We, we just categorically know it. We just don't want to <laughs> beat them over the head with that knowledge. But we're girls. We can talk about this anyway. Right. Yes, my male listeners are saying, "What, buddy? You're probably crazy." <laughs> Anyway, the the point is that when when they tell us something that we always do that we think is okay and they call us out on it like your husband mm-hmm. did, I think yes. the first thing is, is he kidding? That couldn't possibly be anything wrong. You know, it's part of who I am. It's part of right. my personality. People love that about me. Do I really need to change it? Why is he accusing me? What's the problem? Why did he wait so long? How am I going to – I mean, this whole litany of stuff goes through our heads and yes. and how can how many people can I call in the next five minutes and tell them what he doesn't like about me? Am I right, Joy? <laughs> yes, you right? are right, honey. Am I right? When I'm right, I'm right. See, there's that self self righteousness right, just seeping right. seeping right through. Very very interesting. Uh, let's do one more. What's another one you would like to talk about on the the what the males have a problem with the women? What do you think? Uh, Never on time. Do you like that one? Never on time is a good one. What page is that? 139. I'd like you to go through that. We have uh, four minutes till we bring Susan Weeks on, and she's listening. I know she's going to have a lot to say when we invite her <laughs> to join the conversation. Never, The woman is never on time. And you know that there is a, um, there's a wonderful Brad Paisley song. I can't remember which album it's on, but it's loaded into the uh, CD library in my car. And the name of the oh, Time Well Wasted is the album, the CD. And the title of the song is Waiting on a Woman. And he he meets an older gentleman sitting in a car in a parking lot, and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm waiting on a woman. And then the older man proceeds to tell him, on our first date, she was a half hour late. Why? She was up there trying to find the prettiest thing she could find to go on our first date. And ever since, I've been waiting on a woman. She was late on our wedding day, waiting on a woman. But it's always worth it. And I don't remember the punchline of the song. Anyway, so woman is never on time. What do you tell to the well, woman, I've, Joy? I've, had, I've been married to two men who have taught mm-hmm. me a lot about that. Actually, okay. when we uh, make when we cause people to have to wait on us, we are stealing from their time. Mm-hmm. So it is a bad character trait. Okay. So we need to learn how to uh, to be at any appointment on time because we're stealing. But a woman, it is a uh, something that she will have to deal with in her own character and decide that she is going to, no matter how she looks. Sometimes I've had to go out the door looking a little less because both of my husbands <laughs> would not tolerate me being late. Oh, okay. We want, be, we want to be there on time. And so it, it jars my <laughs> psyche and makes me start a little earlier. And, and women can start earlier, and we don't have to be perfect. Uh, we don't have to look totally perfect. In fact, usually people don't even notice that much about it anyway, right? Right. Very <laughs> interesting. Start a little earlier. I also notice in here in the book you say, especially if there were young children involved and the families going out, if the man would pitch in and help a little with the kids yeah. or something to help the wife. So there's nothing wrong with being collaborative and helping her do something that would take away from her ability to pay attention to herself. But you're right. You're absolutely right. There's nothing charming about being late, especially once in a while is fine, but perpetually, you're right, it's stealing time. And what's your theory on being too early where you're ready early and the other person isn't, and the implication is, well, I'm such a good kid, I got ready early, what's your problem, you should be early too. (laughs) 
Hello. What do you think? Too much I of guess a good the thing, Lord Joy? Patience then. <laughs> patience is a big, big. I character. love it. Time for us to do a little promotion here before we bring on the lovely Susan Week. So I'm going to give everybody your website and tell me if I've got the right one. I'm going to talk about fightingforfamily.com. Is that correct, Joy? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to spell this for everybody. It's www. You all know that already. Give me a break. F-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. You know the word fighting? Then the number four and the word family, add.com, and you've got it. So it's fighting for the numeral four family.com and you'll see a beautiful picture of joy and her husband this is is this bud in this one or is this don who is this don this is don this is your second husband yes you yes, actually had and then there's three there, years they can but, see a tv uh interview on there too okay and you had 53 years of marriage to don to a bud wow yes so i've had 62 years of marriage oh my goodness i should Wait, know a little years? bit about it I think you should by now. If you don't, we've got to send you back to school, lady. Uh, what's your, uh, how many years in between, may I ask, before you met Don? Uh, two years and three months, and I thought it was forever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. my goodness. Well, you're, you're I, I'm an 80-year-old woman, and I have so much energy, and I go to New York to Publicity Summit, and I travel to Mexico. Just got back from Mexico, did a fantastic couples retreat in Mexico City, and got out there and danced with the rest of them, and... Acted like I was young. Well, you are young, my dear. You absolutely are young. I hear the energy in your voice, and right now I'm going to ask you to marshal that energy because we're going to flip the tables a little bit and talk about mm, some really difficult years for our second guest. I'm going to flip her okay. microphone on here, and I'm going to count to three, and Joy and I are going to say welcome Susan Weeks. Are you ready on my count? Okay, Joy. One, two, three. Welcome, Welcome, Susan Weeks. Susan Weeks. Hi, Susan. It's the Bonnie and Joy Show. How are you? Oh, thank you so much, Bonnie and Joy. Nice speaking with you. Nice thank to you. have you with us. I want you to talk a little closer to the mouthpiece on your cell because I know you're traveling, Susan. I know we don't have a landline for you today. So give All me right, a little more volume. That's okay, wonderful. Okay, and thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. Listen, lady, I I spent almost two hours in between conference calls late this afternoon reading your book cover to cover, and that's quite a commitment from me. So I'm very glad you're here. But before we launch into a talk about your book, which is The Underestimated Broken Chain of Command, very dramatic title too. Susan, any comments for Joy? You've listened to the segment. I know I see you on the switchboard here. Any comments for her approach or any any questions you'd like to ask her, Any anything you'd like to add? Go ahead. Oh, well, I think it's delightful, Joy. I really do. It's uh, In the seminars for the uh, young people, that is priceless. And the couples retreat, I love that. I do a lot of seminars for women and women's groups, and um, I, I would just love to have uh, part of that to do for their show. It's really, really good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the whole uh, conversation. Thank, um, thank the, you. Forty nine, the man that never says he's sorry. That's a bit. That's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a big one. So uh, Joy is going to stick along with us, and I'm going to bring her into the conversation in a few minutes, but I want to get to know Susan. I want to talk about your book. This is a, a page turner, Susan. You, I don't know how anybody couldn't put it down. I know anybody could put it down, how anybody couldn't finish it all in one sitting. I'm sorry. This is just a tale of drama and fear and challenges and danger and the things you saw, the places you went, the people you associated with were just out of the worst kind of mafia underworld movie I could imagine I would never want to see, period. But I read your book. Yeah. So why don't you take us from the lovely little girl who was the apple and the peach of everybody's eye and, and take us a little bit through your childhood and grandma and the beautiful garden and being nice to people and being daddy's angel. And when did things start to go sour? And then we'll ask you to, I'll ask you to do some of the highlights of the drama of your story. So go ahead, Susan. Tell us a little bit about where okay. you started. Okay. Uh, well, I grew up in the south, in south Georgia, Dodge uh, County, south Georgia. And it was, I mean, I just could not have had a happier childhood or a more a beautiful, loving childhood. And so I keep going back to those memories. But then as a teenager, um, everything was fine. And then when I got married, um, actually before I got married, when I was at the state capital of Georgia, I was a legislative aide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when my world changed. I had 
I had been taught one way, but the political life was a different way. And the power was overwhelming. The power and the way things really were was so different than the calm, easy-going life that I had grown up in. And uh, and the power was, that's what I think um, really caused me to stray or caused me to get into something I couldn't get out of because mm-hmm. the, the power of these uh, men, my husband as well, the politicians, the other people that came with them was just overwhelming. I mean, I could not imagine anybody having that kind of power, but they do. Well, let's let's talk about there's there's an old phrase uh, when you talk about a man who's wealthy, you talk about money bags. That's one of the phrases. I, this just occurred to me, Susan. And money bags really were the core of what happened even when you were a little girl up in your bedroom on this idyllic farm and your handsome daddy and your beautiful mom and you were looking out your window and daddy would go away late at night and come home at 4 in the morning, 4.30, and and you saw things from your window. You saw part of this world. You didn't even know what you were watching. Tell us what you saw the exchange when power was right there literally under your window and you were too young to realize it. What was happening in your own home, on your own territory, Susan? Well, it was, um, that's the way things were done in South Georgia. It was um, sometimes even officials doing the exchange. But it was um, a lot going on for a little girl to see, and it was um, later in life it all fit together, but it was much later. I thought everybody did that. I thought everybody had bags of money in their house or behind the seat, or their father came in with bags of money. I didn't know. But um, then when I grew up and um, got older, I, it all pieced together. I mean, it's just the same. It's the same circle of people. Same and circle. And I, you you found out that politicians were bought, elected officials were bought, uh, sheriffs were bought. Everybody could be bought, but their loyalty could not be bought on a permanent basis. And the money changed hands. The money bags went from person A to person B to person C, and loyalties changed. And there was no such thing as being loyal to somebody. It all shifted like quicksand over and over and over again. So your beloved daddy ended up, I don't want to give it away, but ended up in prison, and he was basically running a gin mill. He was a bootlegger and making gobs and gobs of money you didn't know anything about. Were you disillusioned when you found out that your daddy was part of this game everybody was playing, Susan? Well, it was not so disillusioned because, I mean, to me it was okay because the officials were doing it. Okay. So I didn't see it as wrong because they were doing it too. So So uh, everybody was. Right, everybody was doing it. Everybody was was doing it. Most of the people were doing it, yeah. Now, the part that... The part that made me so nervous about your story, and I know anybody who reads your book or even a little bit about it will agree, is that you married Jimmy Weeks, you were taken in, you were having an affair with somebody who was very, everybody was connected in your world. Everybody was connected to somebody who was connected to somebody who had money bags going in and out of the car and out of the lawn and out of the, the truck all the time. Everybody was buying somebody something all the time. And you ended up with a guy who was not only a tremendous alcoholic, but a, ended up with serious, serious drugs. But you had children. And when you ended up being on the run between criminal activities and people controlling you, and you had bodyguards who watched your every move, you couldn't pick up a phone, you couldn't go to bed, you couldn't walk in or out of the house without people threatening your life, and your kids were being shuffled back and forth from your parents to your home, to your husband's home. Your kids even lived with your husband, who was a serious alcoholic and drug addict at that time. How? How how did you survive? How did you find the strength, Susan? I, I wondered at that. Knowing you had children who were in such danger for so many years, how did you survive that normal maternal instinct that would have made some people say, oh, my God, I just, I have to, at all risk, I have to get out of this and, and run. I know you tried to run. I know you did witness protection. It didn't work because certain people knew how to find you because of the money bag. So tell me a little bit about that fear you live with because of your children's lack of safety all those years? Well, with with that, with that fear, I live with just my faith, my faith, and the faith that I grew up with as a child. And after the whole thing was finished, in the back of the book, you'll see 
that I discovered it's really spiritual warfare, really and truly. But I had to stay calm. I had to stay uh, alert. And I had to always have their protection first and foremost, even above mine, above anybody there. And I managed to do that. Uh, the book uh, is out. It's been out for um, about six weeks or months, and it's doing very well, Amazon.com, uh, underestimated books. And it's uh, the reviews are wonderful. The part two will be out in about four weeks. So anything that is not answered in the first book, the part two will answer those questions. Wow. Yeah. Now, talk to me about your mom while your dad was in jail. How did your mom hold up? You were calling your mom at all times of the day or night, quick, get in the car, come and get me. I'm in jail or right. I'm here or I'm there. I'm at so-and-so's house. Bring the kids, bring the suitcase, bring the this. Uh, your husband had hundreds so of guns husband, in the house. Did How did your mom <laughs> hold up? What faith did she have that bolstered her? Susan? I doubt ever had a bad thought or a, an unloving uh, she loved us just unconditionally. There was nothing under the sun or the moon that she wouldn't do. She huh. loved me that much. She loved me that much. It's uh, it's hard to even put into words. Hard to put into words. But she had a strong faith, and I think uh, because of her strong faith, she helped me. And I know she did every day, every day. I'm sure she did. Now, tell me how many years or how many months and years you spent in prison and what kind of prisons you were in. Well, it was about 10 altogether. Mm -hmm. And um, at at first, they really kept me just locked up trying to break me for several years. And then I went to state prison for about 18 months, knowing about a crime and not reporting it. Then I went to uh, federal prison, uh, receipt of a firearm. I went to federal prison, and the prisons are, that was really a calm for me. It was not punishment. It was a calm. Mm-hmm. It was a relief. It was a relief. Uh, I played piano. The other people in there, nobody was mean to me in there. I only had a problem with one guard. I put that in the in the book. But mm-hmm. it was a calm. That was an oasis for me. Wow. Wow, because you were protected and you were safe. When you know you're glad to be there, you know your life outside was really bad, really bad. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, were there any, I I don't recall if you ever became addicted. I know you were around cocaine and booze all the time and guns all the time. Never. I never wanted it, I never liked it, and I never did it, no. Wow. Not liquor and that shows huge, huge strength of character. Let's talk about the, the good side, the fun side. You had money. You had furs. You had jewelry. At one point, your husband noticed you wearing some jewelry, and he said, no wife of mine's going to wear that cheap blank, 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 fill in the blank, kids, and you know what the word is. And he put you in the car, and he dragged you to this high-end jeweler, and he ended up on the spur of the moment buying you jewelry that was appraised, at, a necklace that was appraised at $85,000. Just because yes. no wife, as drunk as he was, as booze as he was, right. as drugged as he was, right. no wife of Jimmy Weeks was going to walk around with a cheap piece of crap around her neck. You had to have the best. Yeah. What was your thought at that point, Susan? That's like like being yeah. a fairy princess. I'm, yeah, I'm here. That's like being a fairy princess and being punished for it at the same time. What were you thinking? But he was so um, controlling about uh, everything in the house had to be the best, all the silver had to be the best. China had to be the best, had to be the best. Everything had to be the best, and that was him. And at first, it was like a fairy tale. I loved it. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. I can hear you. I know somebody that was beeping in the background, but I'm here. So he was into he was into what we call OCD, right? Obsessive compulsive, where everything had to be facing a certain direction. Everything had to be immaculately clean. He had housekeepers. Wow. Housekeepers. Nothing could be out of place. Nothing could have a scratch on it. The silver had to be polished at all times. It had to look like um, show place at all times, and so did I. Wow. And, and at first, I mean, I was very, um, I mean, I loved it at first, but it got to the point that it was uh, no amount of money feel right, you know. Susan, I have to ask you, did you ever just at these these years in prison just sit down and cry and say, "Oh my God, how did this happen? How did this happen to me?" Oh. But how, how, how often? 
after I went to prison, I saw women, Bonnie, that were so had so much worse time than I did. And some of it was because they were addicted. Some was um, different things. Some had no family. They'd never had a family. I mean, mm-hmm. if anything, prison humbled me. It humbled me, no doubt, and every day of my life I think about uh, the women that are in there that have nobody. They have nobody and they never had anybody. So it was it was um it was a lesson all the way through. All the way Susan through. I want to point out to my listeners that you, Susan Weeks, are a very smart lady, that you were running multiple businesses, legitimate, legitimate businesses out of the empire of Jimmy Weeks. He inherited a lot of business from his family, and there were legitimate businesses. You were running three, four, five businesses at a time, whether you were you didn't go to sleep, you got four hours of sleep a night. You were a smart businesswoman. You were not a dummy. You weren't a, a blonde B-I-M-B-O. You were out there actually running businesses. Everybody trusted you. You knew everything, as I said in the intro. The FBI trusted you. The bad guys trusted you. You knew codes and you knew numbers. You knew faces and places. You knew accounting. You knew how to keep a business going. Smart head on your shoulders. If you could go back in time, Susan, to a place where a wrong turn was made that changed your life forever, what would it be? Would it be looking out the window and not seeing Daddy with the money bags exchanging hands? Would it be not not having the affair with Michael? Would it be not marrying Jimmy on such short notice and not checking out, not noticing how much booze he was really? What, when was it? Uh, I don't know when that would be. Uh, I know the point that changed my my feelings as a human being when he threatened that he would do something to my daughter mm-hmm. if I was not going to be a witness to these murders he was doing. That changed my soul. At that point, I knew I had done everything wrong. Until then, I thought he would come back to Earth one day and he'd be fine and he'd be the man I'm hearing. Do you ever miss Jimmy? Are you with us, Susan? Susan Weeks, are you still here? I still see you on the switchboard. Joy, are you with me? Yes, I'm here. Okay, let's try Susan one more time. Susan, are you still with me? I think she might have gotten disconnected, but you know what? She's still on the switchboard, so I don't know if she's going to be able to call back. Joy, I'm going to ask you to take a leap of faith and talk a little bit about what you've been hearing. Are you shocked? Are you surprised that somebody so smart could get in so deep with so many people who just used her and abused her for so many years and come through it and actually be able to talk calmly about it? What do you think? Wow, what a story. There you are. Hi, Susan, we got got you back. I was asking Joy to comment. Yes. The reason I probably just never gave up on him was because I really loved him. I really loved him. And like a lot of women that are in abusive situations, they don't give up and they don't leave and they don't leave when they should leave and then when they think about leaving, they can't leave. And that's true. You don't just walk out. And he was not a man you would walk out from. He owned the judge. He owned the, uh, the sheriff. And... Every county around there, that's how it is today in South Georgia. Today. Wow. You don't just go report and get out of it. There's no such thing. But he told me if I left, I'd leave in a box. I was not leaving. And, and you, were th- you were threatened by a, a lot of people. You were owned and commandeered and, and pushed around and pulled around. But I, I'm going to guess, Susan, that the thing that kept you alive from me, just total outsider, obviously just having read the book, was that you were so damn smart. You were such an asset. Everybody wanted to use your skills, your beauty, your skills, but mostly your brain power. Everybody wanted to take advantage because you were an asset. You were an asset to the politicians. You were an asset to your lovers. You were an asset to your husband. You were an asset eventually to your, you tried to be to your father. That didn't work out. But you were an asset to the FBI agents. You were an asset to everybody who met you because you were special. You were smart and you could get the job done, whatever they told you to do. You feigned loyalty. You did what you had to do. You were a chameleon. Would you agree with that? You were, you were whatever anybody well, needed you to be. Well, I have been told that my loyalty was a legend, that nobody was as loyal as I am. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And he's not the kind of person you would tell you're going to do it and not do it. But from a from a child, your word was marble, your word. Mm-hmm. You don't say you're going to do something or you're not going to do something if you're not going to do it. 
and um, that's who I am. I don't today, but today I try to help women uh, that are in the same in situations or in violent situations and tell them it's never going to get better, it's going to get worse. And I work mm. with um, uh, women that are abused every day, and I speak to at risk youth every day, and I tell them, don't think this could not happen to you. I was a rich woman. I was a legislative aide for the state of uh, Georgia. I could have anything in the world, but I, I, did, I could not get my freedom. could not get my freedom. Mm. Are your children okay today? How much do they know of what they went through, Susan? Well, they're wonderful. They're wonderful. Um, uh, they're not real happy with the, the situation that, that was caused by all this, but they're fine and they have wonderful families and they're good. They're fine. And good. I'm glad to hear now tell me, why did you decide, I'm sure you hear this question all the time, what made you finally want to write your story, Susan? When did you decide it had to go in a book? Because I know somebody in the back of the book, somebody threatened, if you ever write your life story, you would go out in a box. Boy, you were getting threats right and left. You might have been America's well, most threatened woman. Right. Right. My, um, well, since before I was even locked up, Universal Studios was doing documentaries in one of my stories. And then I was mm-hmm. offered millions of dollars for the story, the book, the movie, all that, all because of of the players in Georgia. And my parents, my mother, my mother asked me daily, please write about this. Please write about what you went through. I want you to write it. So she and I started writing it for years. She and I would write all the time, everything mm-hmm. down. My father begged me to write the story. He begged me to write what happened. In detail, write it. And then finally, one of my children said, Mother, please write it. Please write it. So that's why I did. That's why I wrote it. And it's been very, very, very well received. I've had hundreds of people from South Georgia thank me for writing because uh, similar things go on today. I have to read, Susan, if with your permission, I'd like to read a couple of sentences from the bottom of your dedication page in your book. May I read a little okay. bit? You say, finally, this book is dedicated to all those sisters of mine worldwide who felt the sting of toxic abuse, betrayal, and bullying, to those women who raised their children alone with one hand and had to fight off an abuser with the other, to all those women who lost their freedom, their lives, or souls by standing by their men. And finally to all underestimated survivors, and that's what you call yourself, that's the title of the book, The Underestimated, My Heart Feels Your Pain. Very brave. Have you had any pushback from the wrong people about the book, Susan? Are you safe? Please tell me you're safe. Not one. Not one. Uh, I, I wrote the book, and I wrote uh, part two, and I wrote part three, just in case something did happen to me. Because I realized that uh, he told me, if, if you write the book, you're dead. Okay, mm-hmm. I wrote the book. I wrote the book, and I did not release the first one until I had all three finished. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So tell me, is there going to be a movie? Is it in the works? Who would? Pl- who's going to yeah. play you? I have no idea. It's already in the works. A movie is already in the works. Okay. And it, it will be a movie. Yes, yes, definitely. And what will the title be? Will it be the same as the book? Uh, the title for the movie will be the same as the book. The next part, part two of the book, is called Secrets. Okay. And then third, part three, I'm not sure about the title yet, but part two is Secrets, and that will be out in about three weeks. Wow. You're one brave lady. I, I say bravo to you for you, you did what you had to do. Bottom line, Susan, you did what you had to do to survive and, and keep your children alive and keep your parents alive, and I know it didn't work out for your dad and that made me very, very sad of all the people who betrayed you. But right now I want to talk about what's next for you. You told us you've already written Part 2 and Part 3 is kind of an insurance policy. And what's next for you, let's say, in the in this year, 2013? What's on the plate? What's in the plans? What's in the itinerary for Susan Weeks? Talk to me. Okay, Bonnie. I have a – well, I'm an author. Of course, I'm still writing, and I'm writing things for uh, at-risk use also. And I'm just writing, writing away. I also have a women's group. It's uh, Council of Elite Women Entrepreneurs. And with that, it provides resources for women, awareness, hope, uh, financial security for women, 
that are suffering oppression or abuse or exploitation. And I also have an anti-bully alliance. There's not really enough laws to come at the bullying. Women are bullied every day in the office, outside, by their abusers every day. And there's just not enough awareness. The way I tackle my abuser and the reason I really, really came out full steam with the book was because he just bullied so many years. And I thought, well, the only way to deal with him is to go get a bigger bully and bully him Mm -hmm. back. That I didn't want to do or couldn't do, not legally. Mm. So I I exposed him. I exposed him to 147 countries, and I don't know how many millions of people, but I exposed him. That's what I did. You're a brave lady. I'm working working with uh, people to put laws in place for anti-bullying because there needs to be more laws. Definitely. to protect women that are going through violent, abusive situations that they just can't handle. They don't know where to go. I didn't know where to go. There was yep. nowhere for me to go. Well, there was if nowhere for you to hide. You, you found out there was nowhere for you to hide, and even witness protection couldn't couldn't keep no. you hidden. No, there was nowhere. There was no. no rock big enough for you to hide behind. I hate to put it so crudely. Now, I want to yeah. give your website right now, and then I notice I'm not getting, uh, not able to get in. It's not loading for me, but it's a beautiful website. It's underestimatedbook.com. That's under, U-N-D-E-R, estimated, E-S-T-I-M-A-T-E-D, book.com. One word, underestimatedbook.com, and uh, I'm sure it will be working soon. It's still trying to load. And I want to thank you, Susan Weeks, and now I want to turn over the mic to Joy Curly Burchett. Joy, what's next for you, my dear? What's coming up in 2013? Good year ahead for you and, and uh, Absolutely. for Don? Absolutely. I want to continue to teach couples in the U.S. and foreign countries. I've been in uh, Japan. I've been to the uh Jerusalem I've been I've been to the Ukraine I've been to uh Africa and I want to go to more countries even at my age and I want to work toward uh my own TV show I'd like to be able to give these principles that we talked about today uh to to thousands of people so that's what I'm working toward and the other thing is Teen Roundup, the one thing that we started 46 years ago, my son is now running, and they give a 1,000 kids a free camp every year, and I want to be a big part of that. You must be so proud. You, you know what? I'm proud of both of you. I'm proud of the work you're doing, Joy, and I'm proud of the work you're doing, Susan Weeks. And I want to give you a little tip, Joy, on a TV show. I've been doing my own show for almost, let's see, 1996 I started I've had four television series. Two of them are still active. And if you have a public access studio near you where you can go and and get some volunteers to crew for you, and you can do it at no cost, the trick is to get your shows taped as classy as possible and then start a Vimeo channel, a private channel, and load your shows on the Internet. And that way you can spread them all over the world with just the click of a of a link, and you can share them with everybody at virtually no cost. It's a very easy way. Unless you're looking for a big studio production with a thousand handsome guys and million-dollar cameras, I'll tell you, I've been doing this. I've done about 800 shows. I've been doing a show with my mom since 2000, and we've done over 200 shows. And we just sit down every two weeks and do TV with fascinating guests. I have wonderful volunteers working at the studio with me. We're all volunteers. No money changes hands. And it's been joyful for me, pun intended. That's all I want to do is get the message out. So I think you look around and see if you have a public access TV studio and go sign up and take the training and and get Don and some people to come in and learn how to use the cameras in the production facility. And you just go do it. Get it out there. Get it down on on, uh, DVD or CD or whatever they're doing, whatever their technology is, whatever their master media is, and just make it happen. Uh, That's my... Thank you. And I want to say to Susan, I am just awestruck. And I know that her life is going to bless millions of people. Oh, Susan, what do you say back to Joy? Oh, that's that's beautiful, Joy. Thank you so much. I, I go I to pri- I go. We go to prisons and minister there about relationships, and we're so received. Yes, and mm-hmm. please keep going because you don't know how much those girls and men and women look forward to somebody coming in and doing oh, that. Oh, they do. They really receive you. 
You know, I have to tell both of you ladies that I do not ever, maybe once in a blue moon, once or twice a year, will I book guests back-to-back on the same show because there's a common thread. But invariably, I find a way that the two guests relate to each other, even if it's just a thread way out in the blue there or if it's a really meaningful one like today. And so I'm so thrilled that the two of you had a chance to meet here on Read My Lips. And it's one minute, and ladies, you know what's coming. I'm going to put the music on. You're going to both take a deep, deep breath, and you're going to join me in a kiss, the moi kiss. We're going to see how long you can hold it and see if you can outlast me. I've been doing this a long time, kids. And we're going to send out a moi kiss of love and blessings to all the women who need some protection. Susan and Joy are there for you. So let's do our big moi. Here we go. Deep breath and join me. Left. I wanted to do a shout out to my beautiful mom. Her nickname is Lorna. Lorna, I love you. And I'll see you next week right here. We have a great year lineup of great guests. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, Joy. Blessings Hello. to both of you. Give my regards to your families. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red. We'll talk to you next week Thanks. right here on Bonnie. Read. My pleasure. Read my lips. Lips. <laughs> Thank you. Hugs to everyone who needs it. Bye-bye. Mwah.